But the problem that we have in law enforcement and public safety in general is that we go, you know, we're doing paperwork, we're borderline falling asleep because we're so bored. And the next thing you know, within a split second, we're in our car doing 100 miles an hour going to save somebody. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you're listening to this episode around Thanksgiving and you would like to give thanks for this show... You can please head over to patreon.com slash half hour intern and contribute some money to help support episodes like this coming out. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort to make this show, and it would mean the world to me if um, if you wanted to contribute and to help episodes like this coming out for everyone to be able to hear. So again, that's patreon.com slash half hour intern. And um, we now have some really cool little gifts that we're giving out to anyone that, uh, that contributes on Patreon. So as soon as you contribute on Patreon, you will get a cool little something in the mail from me that is that is like completely unique to you as a contributor. So um, anyways, on to today's episode. In it, I interview a sheriff, which I have been wanting to interview people in law enforcement for quite a while. And it's just one of those things I never quite got around to. So the first law enforcement person I will ever interview is Matt Barton. He is a sheriff. So the very first question that we will tackle is what is the difference between a sheriff and a police officer? And what is the difference in job roles and jurisdiction and all that kind of stuff? And how does jurisdiction even work? Um, and we will talk a little bit as well about what this kind of past year or two has been like as a law enforcement officer in the United States. There's obviously... Um, been a lot of issues with law enforcement and a lot of unfortunate backlash against um, law enforcement in the United States. And so we will discuss that. We will discuss um, the concepts of following like the letter of the law and doing exactly what the law says or following the spirit of the law and like the spirit in which the law was intended when it was created. And uh, we'll talk about the the feeling and the need to be extra nice as a, as a law enforcement officer, because unfortunately, there is that typical stereotype of certain people that get into law enforcement because they just kind of want to push people around. So I asked Matt, like, do you feel the need to be super nice to people to be like, see, like, we're not all bad. Like, I, I'm i a good guy and, and we could be nice guys as, uh, as law enforcement officers. So if you have ever wanted to ask a bunch of questions to someone in law enforcement, uh, hopefully I did a good job asking many of the questions that you yourself would have wanted to know. Um, without further ado, here is Sheriff. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Blake. Thanks for having me out. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so I think that the first thing that we should discuss is what is the difference between a sheriff and a police officer? I think most of us probably at the very least know that it's like a county sheriff. You work for a county. A police officer works for the city. Um but there, I feel like there has to be bigger differences than that. Like, what are what are the major differences between being a sheriff and a police officer? Well, um, on the personnel level, there's actually really no difference at all, at least here in Arizona. Um, in Arizona, we all go to the same academy. I went to the same academy with a bunch of police officers because it's it's an interagency thing. They Had send... you applied to be a sh- like, did you know while you're in academy? 
that you're going to become a sheriff when you come out? Or is it like you go to just academy period and when you come out, you decide which one you want to be? No, I knew specifically who I wanted to go for, the sheriff's department or office that I work for, um, specifically hired me prior to the academy. And um, I suppose there's probably a way to go to a an academy as a private citizen, but typically you go as somebody that's already been hired with that to agency. Be either a sheriff or a police officer. Correct. Um, the other differences are going to be that up further up in the command level on a sheriff's department, whereas a sheriff himself, an actual sheriff is an elected official Um, in that County. He's elected by the residents of that County. And then a chief of police is a hired position, typically hired by like a city manager or mayor. So if you break it down, um, a, a sheriff is, you know, elected by government, by the people. Since he's elected, he's going to be the ultimate ultimate law enforcement power in that area. He actually has to give permission to uh, city police departments to actually enforce law within his county. Oh, wow. Okay. So the the, uh, the, the head sheriff, first of all, is there a term for that? Like, because I know in any area that i lived it's just like sheriff so-and-so is the sheriff for the area but then there's all these sheriffs below that person like what like what are you called versus what is like the actual head voted in sheriff in your area okay so you have the sheriff who himself is the sheriff i myself am just a deputy um so you'll see sheriffs you know as in deputy sheriffs Exactly. So I belong to him, if you will. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. But so then to what you were saying about the sheriff being kind of like the head power because they're an elected official, which is kind of comforting and good for people to know, that sheriff is kind of even over the chief of police in a given area. Uh, correct. I mean, it's probably completely unspoken and, you know, but ultimately if he actually had the, some weird reason, he could actually say, okay, you're not doing anything in my county anymore. Um, Obviously that would probably create quite the uproar, but um, yeah, if you really boil it down, that's how it works. So now, yeah, let's, let's start breaking this down in terms of job roles and jurisdiction and what, who works on what and stuff like that. One of the things I was thinking before the interview is that I feel like having a, a sheriff makes sense in a very, small town rural setting right so like each little town is not going to have their own police force because let's say each town only has like a population of 100 or something you know you're not gonna have a police force for that but you are gonna have a sheriff and some deputy sheriffs for the whole entire county of multiple small towns so that makes sense but now when we get into like los angeles county in california you obviously have a huge police force and each city has its own police force. And then you also have L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Um, why do we need both? Why the redundancy? Why is there a sheriff's department in metropolitan areas? Well, and that's actually a really good question because so the sheriff's department is anything that isn't actually the cities. So. I guess if you were to put a, a fence around what belongs to the city. Anything outside of that is going to have to be covered by the sheriff's office. Now, occasionally you actually get those little city islands 
or county islands as we call them because it's an island that the city's like, no, thanks, we don't want that. So it still belongs to the county. So they still need enforcement on that. Um, the way a police department is funded is by the city itself. And the reason that you don't have police departments in these little bitty towns or or cities is because obviously they don't have the funding to do so. But a county is everybody that lives inside of that. Um, whereas a small city is just getting its city taxpayer dollars. And it ultimately all just boils down to the taxpayers. Right. And that's where the money's going to come from on those. Um, there's also, you're going to get, you know, marshals departments or on these little bitty townships where they hire just a few officers and they'll typically call them a marshal's office. And um, that's sometimes federal. police. No, no, that's still going to be just a, a, a small time law enforcement. Okay. Um, and they're still going to be duly sworn and, uh, and certified. So would another use of a, of a sheriff's department be kind of coordination between city police departments if there is something going on that kind of impacts multiple cities within a given jurisdiction? Absolutely. Um, we actually have a lot of task force where we actually um, will take officers from each agency and they are actually all hired to work together under one umbrella, um, like a drug task force or a certain DUI task force. They will actually all be called one thing, even though they're all actually getting different paychecks. Okay. So there are multiple police officers from multiple different cities, um, but you help coordinate that because you guys are the county sheriff's department. Yeah. Um, or whoever specializes in it. There are times where they actually give it over to another agency um, and they'll actually appoint, like, for instance, we have a local drug task force that we call PANT, um, Partners Against Narcotics and Trafficking, I believe. Um, and they actually use a sergeant from one of the local police departments. Actually, I think a couple sergeants from a local police department, even though it's actually operated by the sheriff's office. Hmm. Are there ever any issues with jurisdiction? Um, like, you know, that's obviously something that's played up dramatically in uh, TV and movies and like, this isn't your jurisdiction type of thing, you know? Like, is that an actual thing in real life where it's like, if you are, uh, if you're on a freeway and somebody flies by you at 110 miles an hour, are you like, well, I hope a highway patrol officer gets that guy. Or is it like, no, I'm going to get that guy right now because I'm a sheriff. Um, actually, that's a really good question. And there are times where um, that can come into effect, but it's never anything. It's really just people trying to get out of work, really. Um, as a sheriff's deputy in Yavapai County, um, I actually can enforce law anywhere in this county. Technically, um, being a state certified officer. Um, I am actually duly sworn to be able to serve, uh, enforce law anywhere in the state of Arizona. So, and so is anybody else that's post certified or, uh, has that certification as a police officer in Arizona. Some agencies obviously aren't going to go outside of their jurisdiction because we don't know what courts to submit things to, because you do submit things to your local court. Um, and as a deputy, I 
I enforce law and right in the middle of the towns, right there with law enforcement officers, other law enforcement officers from the cities or the highway patrol. Um, and, and vice versa with like highway patrol, they're a state agency. So they'll really go anywhere, anywhere that I'll go. They just often don't like to leave pavement. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, does it ever happen where you make an arrest or you pull someone over or you're working a case, so to speak, and you have to turn that over to somebody else? Um, yeah, there are times where I have to turn things over. Um, not for a jurisdictional issue ever. It's typically, uh, maybe above my scope of practice because as a deputy, I still need to be available for calls and I can't be tied up for hours or days on end doing an investigation. So sometimes that will go to a um, a detective or something, or maybe I find out that the crime is actually occurring in a different location. Um, so what I'll do is I'll pass that on to whoever is that local agency or that local um, entity that's close enough to be able to handle that and know where I'm talking about. Because if I find out something's going on 100 miles away from me, um, I just happen to catch the act in my area, then, then I'll give them a call and give them a heads up so they can work it from, from the origin, if you will. Yeah. I mean, how does all that stuff happen? It's got to be so interesting having so many different groups of power trying to do the exact same thing, which is just to like keep the peace, so to speak. So if let's say you pull someone over for a speeding ticket and you are a sheriff in Arizona, and it turns out that that person just stole some stuff in Los Angeles, California, and the Los Angeles Police Department had something on him in Los Angeles. First of all, is that even going to show up for you? Because now the person's in Arizona. They're not in California. Second of all, it was the police department. Now you're the sheriff's department. Um, do some Sometimes do things like that get kind of like lost along the way? Like the, the communication isn't happening kind of openly between... Um, between departments or between agencies? Uh, absolutely. Um, we have, you know, there are communication flaws. I think that's going to be, uh, I think that's just a human flaw. Um, but there's a couple databases that we use and communication uh, databases that we use. Um, one on a state level. So anything in Arizona uses the same thing. For for instance, like the MVD. Um Anytime I drive past a car, I can actually type in their their license plate and I can read that information, the same as any other officer in the local area um, or within reason. I actually have a, a computer mounted in my car that's, that's connected to those databases. Um, some agencies don't have those computers, but the dispatch that they use is, does have that access. So they can just call on the radio and ask for, uh, I need this license plate read back to me and they'll explain, you know, it's, it's expired or it's valid, um, not expiring for until 2017 or 2020. Um, and that's, that's one way that we communicate. So if something really big happens out in California, they'll, they'll broadcast it on the national database with basically like a, like a red flag. So say I stop that same car that they're looking for out there, or that same individual, It'll pop up with a please hold this person for questioning or a warrant. Like we have probable cause to arrest this individual. Um, so as soon as you get them, arrest them, 
hang on to them. Um, if it's a stop and hold, then there might be a different reason for me to, you know, if I catch them speeding and it's criminal speed, I might, I might arrest them, um, for the purposes of, you know, my arrest, but also for the purposes of holding on to them for say that California agency. And now warrants are those interagency and interstate. So if there is a warrant put out for someone in California, that's okay for you to now arrest someone in Arizona. Uh, there are. Um, there's also there's different types of warrants. So there's there's a local warrant. Say say you're just really bad at paying your fines. We get this a lot with uh, uh, homeless people. Um, they aren't going to pay their fines. They have no reason to. What what's the worst that's going to happen to them? They yeah. beg for their money. They don't have they don't pay their taxes. Any of that stuff. So it's pretty easy for them to slip through the cracks because everything that they do is in cash. Um, so say this same person is just a constant problem, but it's, it's fairly petty offense stuff. A judge will put out a warrant that's citywide extradition only or extradite within 20 miles only. So anything outside of that, we don't move them because for one extradition costs a lot of money. Um, you know, at any given time, if I have to pick somebody up and drive them all the way to the jail and book them in and all that process, and then we feed them and they're in, that could cost, you know, several hundred dollars. And if it's something small, like they open or owe a fine, the city, the judge in that area is going to go, um, you know, go ahead and just, if they're within this area and what we call those, I guess in the biz is uh stay out of town warrants, just don't go back there. Right. And then you're going to have statewide extradition warrants or even actually, okay, so there's countywide extradition warrants. So it's everything in that county. There's neighboring county warrants, and then there's statewide warrants, and then there's nationwide warrants, or even neighboring state warrants. I know it can get really confusing on that stuff, and it's basically just a judge seeing, saying, okay, this crime meets this level. Um, I want to, if they're close, I'm willing to extradite them, and we'll spend the money to get them here. If they're not close, then, well, hopefully they don't come back. Yeah. And and I don't mean to say that as in like, oh, if you got a warrant, stay out of town. Um, but they they need to see what what's going to be the gain in getting them back here. If it's if it's somebody that owes fines, um, that's fine and dandy, whatever. But if it's somebody that's committed a real serious crime, we need them back. Um, and they need to answer for this. So that's why you'll see you know, nationwide warrants. And then I believe on, to some extent, there's even, you know, the federal warrants, which that's why there's, there's countries that we have an agreement to extradite our people back to the United States. Right. Right. So you just bring up an interesting point that I would like to delve into a little bit more, like philosophically, if you would. Um, And that is the whole entire, like, is it worth it? Is this worth it? And I think this is something that a lot of states um, are evaluating right now and just did evaluate right now um, in terms of laws with things like marijuana and stuff like that. Like, is is this worth it to prosecute this? Like, what what is the point of this, you know? And something, so I uh, just moved away from San Francisco um, and something that was amazing to me in San Francisco that I had never experienced before um, is... In a lot of the parks in San Francisco, you will see people just openly uh, like drinking alcohol and like smoking weed, just hanging out, having a good time, you know, 
and there will be police officers like around like you will see police officers in the area and is it and i remember like moving there thinking like oh my gosh like it's it's legal to drink outdoors here is it like las vegas or something the answer to that question is no it's not legal to drink outdoors there and hopefully i'm not like ruining it for all the citizens of san francisco now and like throwing them under the bus or something but like i would see this like over and over and over and over and over again and i think it's just that there is very much a thing of like these are peaceful people that are kind of minding their own business so i will let them be um and then as soon as like a fight were to break out or if something weird were to happen in the park the police would be on it like they'd be there you know um but as long as everyone aside from having a a drink and like relaxing on their sunday or like smoking a joint or whatever it is that they do to have a good time on sunday as long as that person was not interfering with other people's ability to have a good time it there was kind of like this attitude of carry on and i remember also like on halloween and uh, halloween's out there and stuff like you would see people like walking down the street smoking a joint which is totally not allowed and uh, like walk right by cops like smoking weed and the cop wouldn't even say a word you know because again it's like the person's being totally calm right now like it's all good um i guess what are your what like what are, what are your thoughts on all of that and it, to what extent are do you feel a pressure upon you to not behave in that way to not be like oh hey um it's more about the spirit of the law than the letter of the law um which is what what I would like to you know feel and think and make sense to me logically like why did they make this law about no drinking in public well because they don't want people to act crazy in public that's the spirit of the laws we don't want people acting crazy well if no one's acting crazy then there's no need to write him a ticket you know like then then it's all good then we're all good here as long as everyone's you know being being peaceful and polite however as an actual officer of the law i imagine that you are persuaded to follow to follow the letter of the law um, so I guess just give me some of your thoughts on all of that and, and kind of like where you stand there and if you have any flexibility and how you can treat certain situations. You know, it's, it's, I really, I'm excited that you asked this because of the fact that, um, very much our agency that I, the agency in which I work for, um, we are very much encouraged to work with the spirit of the law. Um, because of the fact that, like you said, if they're mining their own within reason, I mean, sure, this guy's over here smoking crack. Um, <laughs> we might have a problem yeah, because, because that's a little excessive, but totally, but the truth is, is this whole marijuana thing right now and alcohol too, um, uh, you can hurt yourself with anything. Uh, I mean, if somebody wants to, to, I don't know, just build a giant bonfire and dance around it. Sure. They could fall in it and they could get hurt. If somebody wants to drink to an alarming excess and drink themselves stupid, of course they could do that. You can hurt yourself with a nail gun. You can hurt yourself with a hammer. It's it's, we give these people the opportunity to be responsible with it. Um, the whole marijuana thing right now, it's becoming less and less sure. It's not legal here in Arizona yet. And states are working on it, and we just had the election, and we didn't pass it. And and there's probably good reasons that it didn't pass. It, so it's tough being a law enforcement officer in that. But the truth is, is I, I love that I have the opportunity and the ability to not 
pound on somebody so bad for something. If I see a speed, or my favorite thing to do is give warnings. Because my job, if you break it, ultimately break my job down, my job is to change behavior. So if I get somebody speeding and I talk to them and I'm like, hey, you got to knock it off. One of my favorite lines to talk to people about is, hey, you're speeding. Um, you're now in my system. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write it down so that next time I pull you over, it pops up automatically and, and I'm going to write you a ticket if the behavior doesn't change. And you'd be amazed because most of the population, we're all good people. There's a small population, a very small population that are bad. And these good people just need a reminder every now and then. We all do. Like, hey, you're speeding. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. Um, and that's that's where we kind of get into that. I mean, yeah, here in Arizona, it's a little more strict. You can't walk down the street smoking a joint. Um, but there have been times where it's like, hey, I'm here for this reason. I happen to see some marijuana in the right, house. You exactly. really need to knock that off. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to harp on it today because I'm here for other things. I'm here for your safety or I'm here for more of an emergency. Uh, please don't let me see that again. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So it sounds like part of that is the, uh, like, uh, as I was referring to in San Francisco, clearly there is some sort of culture, cultural thing happening with the police force there. And, you know, that is like a top-down sort of thing. It sounds like you have a similar top-down sort of thing from whoever the sheriff is in your county that is like, look, we're here to support um, the spirit of the law and not just like hold it letter for letter. Exactly. And there's, there are laws that say, so we have to look for this keyword, these rather than just say, you will do this. Um, lawmakers like to sneak in little tidbits and there's the word that we look for is shall shall means we absolutely must. And then on the other side of that, there's going to be may. So may means it's completely my discretion within reason. Um, but the word shall is carries a lot of weight in the law enforcement community. And what that is, is, you know, if, if Arizona state law says I shall tow somebody's car for this offense, technically I really have to do that. Yeah. I, I don't have much uh, flexibility either way on that. There are times that we do, yes. So it's, you know, it, that's where you're kind of graying the lines on those things. And there are some gray lines to that stuff. Um, but I mean, that's... But for the most part, we look for that May situation. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, it's like... Why even have a police force then to a certain extent? Why even have a sheriff's department? If I, I, I wholeheartedly disagree with and dislike the idea of we cannot make intelligent decisions about um, we, we cannot be flexible. We cannot be gray um, with any of these things because that's going to allow too, too many people to abuse the system or that's going to allow this or that's going to allow that. It's like you're, you're giving, you're giving the sheriff's department and the police officers way too little credit to use their own intelligence when they're in a certain, certain situation. And it's like, isn't this the reason why you hired these people? If it's just, you need to do these exact things always just like this. It's like hire a monkey to do that. Well, hire whatever, hire a robot, you know, like 
the reason that you have a human being there should be to be able to interpret the situation and interpret whether or not um yeah like you said like this is just some like 25 year old kid uh smoking a joint at at the park on a sunday because he's trying to relax with his friends or this is a 25 year old drug dealer with seven pounds of weed on him right now that just brought this in from mexico like this is very very different things you know and the the idea that like oh we well we need to draw a hard line either way because you you know you never know it's like no we don't need to draw a hard line either way that's the point of hiring a human being to do the job Exactly. And that is so much of the training that we receive is um, your discretion, your your ability to read the situation in an instant. Um, and I think that right now is something that a lot of the public doesn't understand is law enforcement has to make split second or very quick decisions. There are times, yeah, I catch a kid smoking a joint and then, you know, I can sit there and chit chat with them while I kind of make up my mind. <laughs> um, find out how bad the kid is well yeah and that's where i get into that changing behavior thing if i if i talk to this kid for a, a minute and he's like oh man i'm sorry i screwed up um and i can see that because it, it, we're taught so much to read people and it's amazing how much without training humans we're able to read people you pass somebody in the grocery store with a bad look on their face you can pretty much tell what's going on um so if, if I spend some time with this kid and he's truly like, hey, you know, I screwed up. I shouldn't have been smoking in public. I really probably even shouldn't even be smoking. And I see that that behavior is then going to change. I might just be like, all right, dude, well, don't let me catch you next time because then I'm going to have to try the next level of changing this behavior. Um, but then the other side of that is if I, see, you know, have the same kid and I'm like, hey, dude, <laughs> What you're doing is not right. You know, you can't do this out public like this. You can't. If if you want to smoke weed, go get your medical marijuana card. I give people that line all the time. <laughs> um, and I and he just gives me the whole. Well, no, fuck you. You're you're a you're a cop. I don't care what you say. Nothing that you say matters. Well, then, okay, I might have to make it sting a little bit by sending you to see a judge who's then going to fine you because what's the best way to find or to Change your behavior. change behavior. Well, take their money away. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's what everything seems to work around, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Matt, give us a give us a job breakdown, man, on how much time you spend doing the various things you do. I, I at first I was gonna kind of phrase that in a way of take me through a typical day, but I kind of already assumed the answer would be like there is no typical day. Blah 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 blah. So like take us through like a whole year, let's say. And in a given year, what are the different things that you might do and what are like the percentage of time that you might do those things? Like starting with, you know, the biggest chunk of your time is devoted to blank and then go from there. Oh. Oh, you're asking tricky questions now. Um <laughs> it's a math test too. It really is. You know, and that that is Okay, so in law enforcement, you will literally never see the same thing twice. Um, you might see the same type of thing, the same nature of call or something, but everyone's different. There is no two humans alike or identical in this, you know, in this world and their behavior. So things can be very, very challenging at times. I would say the the number one thing I probably do is paperwork. Um, that is. And it's crazy because I was terrible at that as a kid. I was the worst in, you know, 
it's I had troubles even reading. You know, I was struggled and struggled in you know language arts as a kid, um, and now I write you know five page reports all night long. So, uh, what which, percentage of a week would you say is devoted to paperwork? I would say probably oh, I would say probably forty percent. Of Whoa, my week is spent in man, paperwork. 30 that, to 40% is spent in paperwork. That's crazy. So I guess, all right, let's break it down to three things. One being paperwork, two being called to a specific situation, and three being just patrolling with no particular goal in mind. Um, like how often do you do each of those three things? So obviously paperwork the most, maybe 40%. I think that is a really great breakdown. Um, that is a really good breakdown. So I would say paperwork's probably 30 to 40%. I would say that my time on a call is probably maybe 10%. My time actually interacting with these people or anybody, and I shouldn't say these people, but, uh, anybody in emergency or anybody in a situation that's their personal emergency at that time. Right. And then from there, um, the rest is spent being available for calls or patrolling the area. Okay. Um, so, and that can be anything from, I mean, I'm, I'm actually available when I'm sitting in the office writing a report. Um, and then, or if I'm just out driving around. Do they give you guys any sort of per diem for food throughout the day? I'm just like picturing you guys driving around and stuff. It's like, do they take care of your lunch or something then? Um, they, they don't give us a per diem, but we're just paid for our straight from the time we leave the house to the time we arrive home. Right. So we're, we do get paid to eat. Um, so if you see an officer at a restaurant, he, he is on the clock, but that's because very oftentimes we'll sit down to a restaurant and before our food ever even comes up, we're running out the door. I've literally never seen a police officer finish their meal before. Like 100% of the time I'm in a restaurant with a police officer, they get called away to something. It's crazy. Yep. Pretty much. It's a real pain in the butt. And there are times where we leave and the restaurant's looking at us like, Hey, what the heck? And we'll be like, We'll be back. We'll pay for it. We'll eat it cold. Thanks. Yeah. I feel like I would only ever be ordering things I could eat in my hand, like like burritos only, you know? That is literally something that happens. <laughs> <laughs> like, I will go to a restaurant, and if, especially something like with marinara sauce or something, obviously, we don't want that on our uniforms. I wear a tan uniform, so everything shows up on it, but... If it's handheld, it works. Yeah, it's very hard to give a stern speech when you have marinara all over you. It really is. I've tried. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, cool, man. So as a, so I think, yeah, and maybe you can't comment on this one way or the other. I think most people's assumption when they think of um, like highway patrol officers and stuff like that would be that there is a quota for tickets. That's something that we all hear about that like, Oh, they, they have their quota that they got to hit as a sheriff. Do you have a quota for giving out speeding tickets? Um, and do you have a quota for anything as a sheriff? Like, is there anything that like you have to do X number of these per month? Um, as a sheriff, as a sheriff's deputy, I do not at all. Um, there are things, yes, that I have to do. There is one thing that we do. Say we'll have a problem area. We call it like a security check. And we have to, you know, log our time there. And the one thing that is asked of us to do is go through these areas when we're not busy and just make our presence known. Because so much of law enforcement is just visibility, just letting the public see us. 
because, you know, say we got a kid that's tagging the side of a building all the time. If I drive past that at least once or twice a night, you think he's going to, you know, at random times, you think he's probably going to tag that anymore. Um, so that's my only have to, as far as a quota, as far as tickets, there's, there's no such thing in my agency. And I believe it's against law to create a quota to, at least in Arizona, to, uh, you know, mandate a certain number of tickets. You're probably expected to do a certain number of calls to stay busy and not just be a guy that goes and hides in the shadows all day or night. Yeah. And just drive around. You're expected to take your calls. Um, but as far as, you know, oh, we're, we're low on cash. You guys need to get out there writing tickets. That's absolutely false. Um, for one, the money doesn't even go to us in any way, shape, or form. Um, I suppose, you know, eventually it could. But the truth is, is if I write a ticket, by the time it goes through the court and, you know, the judges pay, all the court uh, personnel's pay, my time, the gas in my car, we don't make up. We literally lose a lot of money on that. Yeah. Um, Cause a hundred dollar ticket, you got to think that if it takes me off the road for 30 minutes, maybe an hour by the time I get back to the office and write the report and then all the judges, I mean, you're talking probably, it probably costs $500 a ticket for yeah. us to process. So Matt, I would love to know what this last, um, year or two has been like for you. So um, there's obviously been quite a bit of, of, and rightfully so to a certain extent, um, backlash against law enforcement in the United States. That being said, pretty much all of the backlash against law enforcement in the United States has been against police department. Nothing like sheriff's department seems to never get mentioned and never get the same sort of bad rap that police officers do. But yeah, has this last couple of years, particularly this last year, been any different for you as a sheriff? Um, are are you guys seeing uh, like uh, any sort of like adverse effects the way that it seems like a lot of police departments are? Uh, we, you know, it's that's tough because yes, um, we are. We aren't seeing what they're seeing back east at all. Out here, I can speak to Arizona. Um, the, the the people of Arizona really still respect law enforcement and still really trust law enforcement. Um, but there are scary things because I do hear stuff. You know, every now and then I'll run into somebody, and and it's only the people that are doing wrong that have anything bad to say, really, when it comes down to my interactions. Um, yeah, I'm going to hear negative things from really good people too, because. Because the media is fueling this fire. Um, I guess the, the, the big change in my job is I just have to be more aware. Um, keep my head up, my eyes open. Because I don't know when somebody's going to have this, you know, the, this just bad idea in their, in their head that they're going to hurt somebody. And so many of these, these bad ideas are being planted um, by just watching what's going on elsewhere which can be really scary. Um, you'll see a lot of these, uh, a shooting, and then you'll see a retaliation to the shooting where two officers are sitting side by side in a car, eating their lunch and they get shot point blank and they never knew it was coming. Yeah. So that's, 
that's where my job has changed. I can't, I can't sit still. I don't park um, where I think anybody can walk up behind me just because I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, if I have somebody approaching my car just to talk to me and ask for directions, the truth is, is I don't sit in my car. I have to get out. I have to face them because I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and I know it probably sounds paranoid, but it's just, it's the world we're in right now. The scary situations of people are getting hurt and there are people out there doing bad things, but that is such a small fraction of society that has done some, you know, really bad things like that. But I guess we just have to be aware. I don't want to be that guy that, uh, you know, got shot with my hand in the potato chip bag, if you will. Yeah. That's, um, Man, that's so sad and that's so interesting that you would feel that way even here. Like you said, I mean, none of those things have happened really in Arizona, you know, um, or at least not like big, big in big ways that have been on like national news or anything like that. So the fact that you would still feel that way here, um, I guess, really says something about the way that public sentiment has gone um, in terms of uh, like any sort of law enforcement. It's very it's very sad. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's so sad on the other end, like these, um, these problems that are, I, I don't know what it is that are happening with training or this or that, like where, you know, people like people are getting choked to death. Like, it, like that's obviously not okay, you know? Um, but the, having the response to that be, oh, I'm going to shoot another police officer in another area because that happened over the, it, it, or it, I don't know. It's just, it, it makes absolutely, you know, no sense whatsoever. And obviously you know that, but, um, man, yeah. How, what a bummer that you have to, you know, feel the repercussion of that. Um, you know, the way that you are. Well, and that's exactly it. I mean, there's, I, I think you hit it perfectly of the fact of, um, you know, there are, it's, there are some sad things going on with officers maybe making a judgment call that I, I don't know. I don't know what was going through their head at the time. Um, and, and somebody dies or gets hurt or something crazy happens. And the truth is, is outside of uniform, I'm, I'm just, I'm a member of the public as well. I vote, I, I take out my trash the same way everybody else does, you know? Um, and I think sometimes the public forgets that in the the effect that if there might be a bad apple, you know, he uh, there might be an officer that makes a bad judgment call. And I don't want to say that, but they're humans. They, they're, they do bad things. There are cops out there that do drugs. There are cops out there that have committed heinous crimes that none of us know about. Um, so, and that's sad, but that's sad in the public world too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. The, the solution, the solution to a problem should never be to create another problem in any way. Exactly. It's tough. It really is because the truth is, is I've seen, uh, I've seen questionable things happen just in my local area with law enforcement. Um, I've seen officers get fired for integrity issues, um, which is huge because, so much of our job is integrity. So like by the way, that's okay. I'm really happy you said that. And please talk a little bit about that because this is something that I think that, like you said, that maybe the media isn't focusing on or anything. 
but is that there are checks and balances in place for these things. And for the most part, you know, these law enforcement communities are very good and they're trying very hard, trying to do the right thing, you know? And, uh, so yeah, please talk about some of those like integrity things that you could and would be fired for and that you've seen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when it comes down to the integrity, I mean, we will prosecute in our own, in our own backyard, um, in our own home. Uh, so, so to speak, if you get an officer that does something illegal in nature, not only are they going to get fired, they very well could lose their, you know, their retirement and everything. But then again, they're also probably going to seek criminal charges and they're probably going to go to jail. And trust me, a cop in jail is the last place a cop wants to be because not that we're going to get beat up or anything, but we actually get put in uh, protective custody and we're completely solitary. So if you get an officer that goes to prison for the rest of his life, he is literally never going to go face to face with anybody yeah. other than than the staff, um, which is huge. Uh, have you ever had any moments in your career that have made you question whether or not you chose the right path becoming a sheriff? I have, um, at this job, there can be, there can be regular things. Um, I unfortunately have to see some horrific things, things that I never expected to see. Um, and I came from a background of, of, expecting this and this is what i got into and knowing that i'd see these things but i guess having that idea in your head or seeing tv is different than when you actually see it so there are difficult things um and there are times where i go do i can i handle this i think a horrible car accident with children involved is is never fun uh, is horrible and it'll stick with me for the rest of my life um so there are times where i I ask myself can i continue on and not let this hurt me mentally um as far as doing the job on the uh, on another level is like am i gonna give myself an aneurysm doing all this paperwork (laughs) or am I going to give myself a heart attack getting my, uh, you know, my adrenaline going just at random times in the middle of the night. You'll just Uh, bore yourself to death with the paperwork. You don't have to worry about the adrenaline. You're just going to die from boredom. I might, but the problem that we have in law enforcement and public safety in general is that we go, you know, we're doing paperwork, we're borderline falling asleep because we're so bored. And then next thing you know, within a split second, we're in our car doing 100 miles an hour going to save somebody. And our adrenaline spikes through the roof. So that's why um, heart problems are so common in public safety. And so many people die of heart attacks. Um, it's actually one of the top three killers of public safety man fire and fire fire and police so that's um, wild i never knew that that kind of stuff does make you wonder do you feel a need to be extra nice to people because there are some law enforcement officers um i don't know if you would agree with this but it seems like and i've seen in my life that there can be law enforcement officers 
who are extra mean to people. <laughs> and it's like, it almost seems like that's, you know, it's very stereotypical to say, but it's like, that's why they got into law enforcement is so they can kind of boss people around and they can bully people or whatever. Do you feel a need almost then to be extra nice to people to kind of be like, see, like we're not all bad and, and we can be good people. Um, you kind of have to read the situation. Yes, absolutely. I will agree. There are officers out there that, um, got into the job to be a jerk. Uh, they don't last long if they even make it in to the system because it, it's very long process and you go through a lot of interviews and psychological evaluations and polygraph tests and background information to find out what kind of person if they want you to be in law enforcement because it's an expensive thing to train somebody to be a police officer or a law enforcement officer of any kind um so if they do make it through and if they continue with that behavior they don't last long at all as far as being extra nice i have to read the situation um there are times where people are so used to being talked to a certain way say a child that comes from an abusive family he might not hear me say sit down literally it's actually been proven that a, a person that has been spoke to horribly their whole life that say you know sit down please sit down sit down sit the fuck down and they'll sit down because that's what they hear because that's how they were talked to wow, um that's terrible so I kind of have to read each situation. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to do that with somebody that's been speeding or somebody that's, you know, uh, fairly petty. But if I get a really dangerous situation, say a domestic violence thing or a family fight of some sort, and I get on scene and somebody's super amped, there are times where I have to elevate above them and I have to make them sit down. Do I want to do that? Not at all. Um, so it's basically just using your emotional intelligence to read the situation and what is going to be the best, yeah, the best way for you to act. And if the other, absolutely. if the other person is being totally calm and nice and normal, then that's how you're going to be. And if it's not a situation where, where things are going down like that, then you might have to escalate things, but you're not going to escalate things when the other person is just being totally calm and normal. Exactly. Well, you're not supposed to. <laughs> I guarantee you that there's guys out there that do. And, and, you know, I can think of some guys that I've worked with that they walk into a situation and maybe misread it and they set everybody off. And I'm like, hey, dude, go over there because you're making this worse. Yeah. I had them all calm down and maybe he just had a bad day. Um, maybe he just got written up or something. So but it isn't going to help the situation. So on that note, Matt, what makes for a very good sheriff in your eyes? Like what is maybe like the number one foundational quality that, that kind of permeates everything else um, that would make for a good sheriff? Um, I think the absolute best thing is level-headedness. Um, somebody that can read a situation and be fair, uh, be you know, can understand the situation quickly, calm and collected and have a clear head throughout the whole thing and not have a person, personal vendetta one way or the other, or personal opinion one way or the other. I, I work with some officers that just astonish me every day. Um, we'll be on a scene where everybody's yelling and screaming and they are 
just cool as a cucumber and you're like wow i want to be like him i want to be like (laughs) her how do they do that because it'll be a really hectic situation i mean i mean literally guns will be drawn pointed at people and they may have their voice raised but you can tell that they have control of the situation that they know exactly what they're doing do you feel that that's a skill that you're developing more and more as time goes on or is that just completely an innate skill that's not really something you can develop or train I think that's something that I, I personally am striving to learn that and be more like that. And it's something that is coming slowly and more difficultly than others, probably. Um, Because the truth is, is I'm, I'm a person that just likes to just move fast. Um, I like to get things done. And I've stuck my foot in my mouth a couple times. And I've been that guy that walks onto a scene and makes somebody mad that you know, like is told to hey go over there and make sure that the back of the house is safe you know <laughs> you're bumming everyone out up here exactly um but that's it's been something i think if you strive to do it you can make that change and i'm learning to read people i'm still a pretty new officer um so for me to read people and learn that Hey, if I come into this situation and yell at this guy, he's going to yell right back at me. If I come into the situation and actually start talking quieter, then he's going to look at me and be like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. And they're going to bring it down, too, because I'm being nice. I put a smile on, even though I don't want to smile at this person. If I smile at them, usually they smile back. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird. <laughs> How long is the training to become a sheriff, Matt? Um. Well, the academy that I went through was eight weeks or 18 weeks. I'm sorry. Um, It's now been extended to 20 weeks. uh, And that's the very basic academy. Once you graduate the academy, you go into what's called field training officer phase, which is another 12 or no, another 16 weeks with a experienced officer in your car guiding you. Um, and that's broken down into separate phases. So like the first phase is basically that officer's just telling you what to do the whole time. The second phase is a little more you on your own. Third phase is basically, uh, you're, it's all you, they're just observing. And then the fourth phase is literally all you, they're just observing. If you have questions, you actually can't even ask them. You need to give somebody a phone call. Hmm. All they do is observe. They're basically just there to watch. Yeah. So almost a full year of training. Yep. Yeah. It's almost a full year. And then right about the time you get off of the field training, uh, you, you actually, uh, you're still on probation for a couple of months. So it's basically still an observer observation period, at least for us or, 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 uh, our probationary period is one year. And then from there, uh, you know, you're done. You're an officer. <laughs> Full-fledged, they leave you alone. And then do you, are you given a partner? Like, is it always a partner thing or um, are, are you all by yourself? Um, not as a sheriff's deputy. I am literally all by myself um, for the most part. I mean, I go to calls with other deputies, but like for us here in Yavapai County, we have very large area to roam. Now, not all of that is populated, but things happen out in those sticks. Um, so people, I, I do have to go to things alone where I'm 
80, 90 miles away from any backup or anything. Damn, that's got to be scary. It can be. It really can be. And if it's anything hairy, we definitely send at least one more officer, if not more, um, when we can. But if it's something extremely dangerous and there's only one person, then sometimes you got to kind of just pull up your pants and try to really be smart about the situation because you know it's just you. So we have to be more soft with our situation because I don't want to walk in there by myself and get somebody amped because I don't have any backup. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that's kind of where that might be to go back to that question that you asked about the difference between sheriff and police on the fact that, uh, sheriff's deputies seem nicer. It's because, well, we're by ourselves. We have to be nicer because if I go into something really hot and angry, um, I could put myself in a really dangerous situation really fast because if I piss the wrong person off, they could get everybody else riled up to go against me. So I think we have to go into it a little tiptoe into it. It may take us longer to solve the situation. I might not be able to go in and slap everybody in handcuffs. That's such an interesting point. And such that probably is a large part of the reason that is a huge mentality thing of like, gang mentality even having just one friend with you um makes you feel so much more comfortable to do whatever it is you know i mean all of us have maybe like gone out to a bar by ourselves versus going out to a bar with a friend with you when you have a friend with you you're more likely to talk to everyone which is funny because you already have a friend that you can talk to anyways but it's like somehow now i feel more um confident or just able to be me or do whatever it makes so much sense that yeah if you are a police officer and you have a partner with you that now you have a lot more freedom to act however you want and or boss people around because i got this other dude right here um who also has a gun in a holster who also has handcuffs um yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah and you know it can it can be to our advantage at times it can be extremely dangerous because there are times that we need to charge into a situation and put everybody in handcuffs. Um, and if you don't have that ability, you've got somebody really amped because trust me, I've tried. You cannot put somebody in handcuffs that doesn't want to go in handcuffs. Yeah, totally. It's like the, the illusion of, it's like the illusion of order that makes everything work right <laughs> like the, the illusion of power the illusion that you are the person in charge of the situation it's like having kids you know and like it's funny like looking back as an adult on the time you know the times that your parents are like you better do that and you're like yes sir you know <laughs> it's like you just do it and it's like just as easily at any time you could have been like nope that just does not sound good to me and you could have walked away and it's like what are your parents really going to do about it but yet somehow you're afraid you know and it's like oh no I, I better do that i better do that and we kind of have that tacit agreement with law enforcement in our world as well you know that like when they tell us to do something we're going to do it and what a weird thing for you then to be the parent if all of a sudden the child like the person that you're talking to is like nope i'm not going to do that i'm not going to go in those handcuffs right now it's like oh Damn it. You like, it's almost like you called my bluff, you know, <laughs> like I, oh, I was absolutely. hoping that you would just say yes and do this. Yeah. And actually you'd be surprised at how much of that actually exactly, exactly. There have literally been times where I'm like, ah, crap, you got me. I even say it to them and they look at me like, wait, what? And I'm like, well, you called my bluff. I, uh, I tried. 
and usually, I mean, you can you you can talk yourself through just about anything when it comes to somebody who's willing to talk to you. Um, so it's uh, it's absolutely right, and it's absolutely frustrating. <laughs> That's so funny, man. All right, Matt, let's uh, let's finish this thing up. What advice would you give to anyone listening that is interested in going into law enforcement? I think my first piece of advice would be to uh, go right along with an agency. Um, I don't know of any agencies that don't do ride alongs. Really? With just civilians? Can... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I do it uh, pretty regularly. Just, you know, say somebody has no idea anybody in law enforcement, go to your local law enforcement agencies. I don't care which one you choose. Um, if they have a car that you like, um, if their uniform looks cool to you, go there and request to do a ride along with an officer. You can ride an entire shift. Um, at least with our agency, you can ride an entire shift. You go everywhere that the officer goes. Um, if it's a dangerous call, I might ask you to stay in the car. But other than that, you know, you get to feel and see what they do. Um, they're going to try and show you the cool stuff. And that's the stuff that gets us all hooked. Um, but don't don't hesitate to be like, hey, you kind of show me some of the paperwork that you do, because that scares <laughs> a lot of people off. Yeah. Um, that would be my absolute first suggestion. My second suggestion would be to just, you know, uh go for it do it um if you feel that you can do it and that you're you have that ability go apply go test it's it's not an easy process um but don't give up because it's it's worth it love it love it matt dude thank you so much for coming on the show and being so open and candid with us about um your life and uh and and everything that goes into being a sheriff and thank you for what you do and your service and everything and uh yeah man we really appreciate everything thanks matt well thank you blake i really enjoyed talking to you and i really appreciated somebody willing to hear both sides of the coin i guess see both sides of the story man i am always here for that dude thank you so much all right man i appreciate it Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you told a friend about it to help spread the word about the show. And if you've been listening to the show for a little while and been enjoying yourself, I would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. That's a way that a lot of people learn about new podcasts. And the more reviews and the better reviews that a podcast gets, the more people that that podcast ends up in front of. So that would be a really awesome way to help the show. And if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all fine and good, Blake, but uh, what are you going to do to help me out? Well, how about being a guest on Half Hour Intern? That is right. You could totally be a guest on this show. So if you have been sitting there listening to this show and thinking to yourself, you know what? I do this totally awesome thing for a living. Or you know what? I have this awesome hobby that I'm really, really passionate about and I would love to tell people about it. Go to halfhourintern.com and click on the Submit Your Ideas link at the top of the page. And through there, there will be forms that you can fill out to get in touch with me about the possibility of coming on the show and being a guest yourself on the Half Hour Intern Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening.